Welcome back to the Urantia Radio Podcast. And I want to just uh, for a moment uh, give a shout out to the Urantia uh, Association International. They've got a really, really great event coming up. Uh, unfortunately, it's like right around the corner. So for people who listen to this podcast after December 10th, the event has already ended. But um, it is going to take place for those who check out this podcast in the next week, December 10th from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. Uh, and depending on which time zone you're in, they're going to have the youth, Urantian, the fruits of the spirit. And it is going to feature uh, young adults uh, and workshops from younger Urantia book students from Europe, Africa, Latin America, North America. They will provide simultaneous translations into English, Spanish, Portuguese, and French. And participants of all ages are welcomed to feast upon what they call, I wouldn't use the word feast, but fruits of the spirit. I guess that's okay. Anyway, uh, so if you're in Colombia um, uh, or Mexico, Chicago, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern, Brazil or Chile or Argentina, it's going to be noon to 8. Uh, if you are in uh, outside of the country, it looks like it'll be uh, 10 a.m. Eastern until 6 p.m. Eastern. That'll be in the United States. And if you're all the way around the world in New Zealand or Australia, you're looking at 2 in the morning until 10 a.m. And that, again, will be on December 10th. And depending on where you are, December 11th, if it's the next day, you can go to the Urantia Association website and you can uh, register with if you have Zoom. If you don't have Zoom, that's okay, too. Uh, Zoom will allow you to log in. Uh, once you accept or uh, yeah, register, you'll get an email, and then that email will be a link. And then you just click the link, and next thing you know, you get to watch people from around the world. And it's cool because they're going to have all kinds of folks talking about the impact the Urantia book is making on their life. And, you know, a lot of complaints that we get from people about the Urantia movement is that there are a lot of older generations of people, longer readers, students of the Urantia book. And there have been concerns that maybe young people, which is something we're going to talk about a little bit on this podcast, is that we're the young people. Where's the next generation of Urantia book readers? How do we make sure that we don't leave them behind and that the book is, uh, is, is appealing to them and helping them, uh, develop their relationship with God. So, uh, Hope you can attend. I know it'll be inspiring. I will try to make it. It'll again December tenth in the United States, ten to six p.m. Eastern, nine a.m. to five p.m. Central, and presumably seven a.m. to two p.m. Pacific on December tenth, which is a is it a Monday or a Sunday? I have to check and see. I guess it would be a week from today, so that would be Friday, next Friday, December tenth. All right, so in a second, uh, let's get underway with the topic at hand. I know a lot of folks will be tuning in, perhaps even for the first time. My name is Jim Watkins. I'm a longtime reader of the Arantia book. I don't even want to tell you how long I've been reading it. It really, uh, it's frightening, actually. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, we, we've had this podcast now for a couple of years, and we explore the Arantia book and its relevance to the world today. And if you're a relatively new reader... My email address is urantiabookradio at gmail.com. You can always email me with any questions you have or comments. And, uh, and we have a great big family of uh, uh, now nearing 75,000 
people of you have uh, have downloaded these podcasts, and we're thrilled. I'm thrilled uh, to be able to talk about something that I have such a passion about, and I really think you're going to enjoy this podcast and this episode. Uh, I know I'm going to because it's about one of my favorite subjects, space, the final frontier. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. You know, I know we all have memories of sitting in front of the TV when we were young kids, watching that show and thinking about the possibilities. I've seen some really great TV specials about the popularity of Star Wars and Star Trek and the influences they had on the world, really, on the minds of kids like George Lucas and Steve Jobs, all the great creators of IBM and Windows. A lot of those those kids that watched those shows, there was a magical appeal to them, and for good reason, which we'll we'll get into. And uh, we'll also play a piece of audio that I just happened to find. I was thinking about this very premise of Star Wars, Star Trek, and the appeal of those those films and those TV shows especially in an age where we're moving away from a lot of the more traditional thinking, even though shows being developed required people who like Rod Serling in the early days, who could, who was heavily affected by war and battle. And it caused him and others to think forward. Ray Bradbury, another great author. And, but all of them have sort of a commonality in the fact that they are really the first kinds of thoughts in the modern age that include everything in the universe, not just Earth. You know, you can be sure that cavemen were not really sitting around conjecturing too much about life on other planets. That's more of a modern phenomenon. And uh, and so it, it seems apropos that a revelation, any revelation that would appear, would concur with that idea, you know, that there would be life outside of our own world. And not only that, but abundant life. And I actually think that's what makes it so appealing in, uh, in that regard. Because, you know, Star Wars and Star Trek, they are premised on this idea of life existing elsewhere. Intelligent life, really. The immense popularity and influence of Star Trek and Star Wars shows the potential reception of the Arantia book and the ramifications of it being a global phenomena. If it could if it could find reception, if it could find that audience, right? You know, there's a saying that goes, politics runs downstream from culture. And I would further state that culture runs downstream from people's belief systems. Uh, you know, it's not an overstatement that our entire U.S. space program and our current wave of IT, the, universe, the, the Internet of Things, all of it prompted by the ideas that we see emerging in the 1960s with shows like Star Trek, 
Then, of course, NASA was in full gear with their space program, and that added to the excitement because we were seeing it in real time. And I still remember the day that we landed on the moon. I mean, who doesn't? It was one of the probably uh, top ten most epical events to occur in humanity, easily. So, you know, mankind is hardwired for exploration, and the significance of our space program rippled through and ushered in a race for technology that is unique to our generation above all others throughout man's million-year history. We owe this, and the results of the Internet of Things is what we see today, and humans walking around, what are we doing now? We're all staring into our smartphones uh, and, and being in constant communication with everything around us. Twitter and other social media sites is actually, I think, allowing us to read each other's thoughts in real time, which is a good thing, but it's also not a good thing. And, and in many ways, we can't close that Pandora's box now. It's almost like an episode of, of, of uh, Twilight Zone where everybody can read each other's minds for a full day. And now everybody knows how everybody else thinks. And maybe we don't like those people too much anymore. Maybe we don't like the idea that they think those thoughts. And so it's actually a new study came out today that said that people are spending more time alone uh, per hour per week. So this is all of this has led to natural anxiety in our society, which in effect reflects our emotional maturity in being able to handle these new tools that we have before us. You know, as an example, it wasn't that long ago when cars were first introduced. I mean, 100 years ago, in most of rural America at least, you were inclined to see more of a horse buggy than a Ford pickup. But this dynamic changed very quickly, and the result is we have a nation now with clogged freeways where every day, oftentimes twice a day, over 100 million Americans are literally stuck in their cars for up to three hours a day. In ways we could not once conceive, man's societal progress has easily surpassed even our own expectations. But in order to facilitate this progress, mature, reasoned, and even wise intelligence is a mandatory requirement. What good is, is it to have all of what we have if ultimately it becomes destructive to the, the very moral fabric of society? And I'll get, get to that in a moment. What is most striking to me about humanity is that there is always a sense that we're not alone. Our religions teach us there is a certain curtain behind which we cannot see, where there are celestial decisions being made on our behalf. We have presented to us deity, and we have teachings, Jesus. Jesus taught about the kingdom. And, and, and I believe that people are receptive to that idea, in the same way, what makes it uh, most appealing about Star Trek and some of those TV shows and the enormous success of the Star Wars franchise. And it's because of the assumed idea that there is abundant life, even other civilizations out there, just waiting to be explored and found. And, you know, as our telescopes get better, we're, we're increasing our chances of discovering other life forms if they're out there. And I believe they are. I believe that's why we look for them. You know, our media is rich and abundant with stories of UFOs and ETs, ancient civilizations, lost civilizations, ancient aliens, 
And this explains why James T. Kirk and Obi-Wan Kenobi are heroes to three generations of viewers. And, you know, Star Trek, you know, normalized intergalactic relationships. And Star Wars took the next step and told of an ancient story about a galaxy far away. Even the Star Wars Jedi spawned a religion. Over 120,000 people registers, registered as Jedis uh, in the movies of, of that early 80s and 90s when the Star Wars franchise was at its peak. And these are people who committed themselves to the Jedi Code. So you know what the Jedi Code is? I want you to listen to this. This is George Lucas. And it's from a script that he was, he was discussing amongst his production crew, probably in the late 70s, when they were just working on either the first or the second. Because if you know the story, George Lucas wrote the entirety of, of the Star Wars, and it was six parts. And the first Star Wars that was released in 1977, I believe, or 78, actually picks up at episode four. So it's halfway into the story. So he's kind of explaining to his crew, you know, what the force is. And this is George Lucas, and, and it's a few minutes long. But listen very carefully about how he's explaining what the force is in Star Wars. And ask yourself, how is this not appealing to people all over the earth? Found in all living things, frowned as close from us. Uh, controls individuals, yet we have free will. We have a destiny if we want to follow it. We live for a reason and must discover what it is. It looks like it was done when I started episode one. Oh, okay. Because it looks like it's referring to episode one. And a lot of this, like this thing about the forest, you know, in all living things that surround us is really just a, uh, a capsule of what was said in uh, episode five the core of the force. I mean, you got the dark side, the light side. One is selfless, one is selfish. And you want to keep them in balance. What happens when you go to the dark side is it goes out of balance and then you get really selfish and you forget about everybody. And you ultimately lead yourself because when you get selfish, you get stuff or you want stuff. And when you want stuff and you get stuff, then you get are afraid somebody's going to take it away from you. Whether it's a person or a thing or a particular pleasure, experience. Once you become afraid that somebody's going to take it away from you, or you're going to lose it, then you start to become angry. Especially if you're losing it. And that anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. Mostly on the part of the person who's selfish. Because you spend all of your time being afraid of losing everything you've got. Instead of actually living. Where joy, by giving to other people, you can't think about yourself. And therefore there's no pain. But the pleasure factor of greed and of selfishness is a short-lived experience therefore you're constantly trying to replenish it but of course the more you replenish it the harder it is to so you have to keep up in the ante you're actually afraid of the pain of not having the joy so that 
is ultimately the core of the whole dark side, light side of the force. Uh, and everything flows from that. Obviously the Sith are always unhappy because they never get enough of anything they want. Mostly their selfishness centers around power and control. And the struggle is always to be able to let go of all that stuff. And of course that's the problem. Anakin explains. You're allowed to love people, but you're not allowed to possess them. And what he did is that he you know, fell in love and then married her and then became jealous. And then he saw in his visions that she was going to die. He couldn't stand losing her. So in order to not lose her, he made a, a pact with the devil to be able to become all-powerful. But of course, when he did that, she didn't want to have anything to do with him anymore. Once you were powerful, being able to bring her back from the dead well, if I can do that, then I can be emperor of the universe. I can get rid of the emperor. I can do everything. I can make everything the way I want it. And once you do that, you know, you're, you'll never be satiated. You're always going to be consumed with this driving desire to have more stuff and be afraid that others are going to take it away from you. And of course they are. Because every time you get two Sith together, you have the, the, the master, you have the apprentice, and who went, the apprentice is always trying to recruit another apprentice to join with him to kill the master. And the master knows that he's basically everybody below him wants his job. The only way to overcome the dark side is through discipline. The dark side is pleasure, biological, and temporary, and easy to achieve. The light side is joy, everlasting, and difficult to achieve. Great challenge must overcome laziness, give up quick pleasures, and overcome fear, which leads to hate. All right, so that was George Lucas talking to his production team back in the early days when he was first putting together the sequels for Star Wars. And uh, I, I do want to let you know it was not my intent to have that music in the background. Uh, that's the way it was on YouTube. And, uh, of course, I couldn't strip it of its music. So if it, if it made it sometimes hard to hear, I apologize. Uh, it, it wasn't my intent, uh, but that I hope that uh, you could hear enough of what he was saying. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's fascinating because as I'm listening to him, you know, he's essentially describing all, all of the great religions. So it's not hard to see that it's a story that we've heard before. We see it in Shakespeare, in Greek tragedies, and to a certain extent, even in the life and teachings of Jesus because of his of his uh, dilemmas that he had to overcome. And uh, so, you know, Star Wars is one of the new films that has been seen by over 5 billion people. 5 billion people. That's, all, that's almost everybody on the planet. Why? Well, because of the appeal of its message, right? It, it, but is the message so different from the revelation? Life forms and higher beings who are facing the same dilemmas behind the scenes trying to make a good universe... How many times did we watch Kirk and Spock, you know, go to a different world and teach us a, a moral tale about what is right, about the prime directive to let life evolve naturally or the battle of Vader and the galactic empire and the force of the dark side? These are all the similar storylines. 
And so they, they ring true. And, and, and I, my point to this is that it, it is that same appeal to me, I think. And many of us may have already had these ideas in our head so that when we read the Urantia book, it wasn't so strange of an idea. The idea of a grand universe, of real meaning and purpose. Uh, I mean, you could possibly argue that if we talk of space, ETs, U2s, UFOs, ancient civilizations, you know, all of that sort of prepared the soil of at least my mind and maybe you, that it was okay to embrace these ideas so that the UB is not so strange. That it's not such a strange concept to think that the universe is controlled by an intelligence, personality, that it's not randomness, it's not empty, it's not accidental causation, it's none of those things. It is okay to believe that the universe has purpose because we are purposeful beings. This is what resonates in the books and the films that showcase a living, expansive universe. Even in Carl Sagan's book, the film Contact, and he was, I don't think he was a religious person. But even he was found of the, fond of the idea of intelligent life. And what a great story it was. Great story, one of the best. So today we have a generation of youth who are no longer inspired by religion because most religion is static and it's traditional. And even worse, it's become overtly political. You know, you can't talk about the soul when you get distracted talking about LGBTQ or abortion. And that's what I, I did a, a, a sort of a side-by-side -side comparison. And what I found was that, you know, Young people today are not akin to the traditional conservative viewpoints of life. But one thing where they really, really lack is having a spiritual soil. And so they get it from movies like Star Wars and Star Trek because those things ring true. It's, it's you know, yeah, it's pop culture and it's all of those things. You know, they say that Gene Roddenberry, the guy who, who came up with Star Trek, may have read the Urantia book. Now, I, I don't know if that's true. But, you know, what I can say is that the idea of seeking out new life and new civilizations, that, that kind of talk inspires people. You know, watching, you know, Harrison Ford and the Wookiee flying around in space, that, that inspires possibilities of, of a better life. You know, Elon Musk is trying to inspire people uh, into the future by thinking about the concept of, of you know, building a civilization on Mars. Now, can we do it? No, but it inspires hope. 70%, according to a Pew poll of young people under the age of 30, believe that the climate is going to destroy the earth. They are afraid of and they are suffering great anxiety from that fact that they believe that it's too late and that the climate, our earth, is going to self-destruct. And so we have... Universal consciousness, we have high-tech, we have smartphones. We can be anywhere and anyone can talk to us. The current generation, they call themselves nuns. They have no religious affiliation. The family itself is not a priority, as it once was. And you don't need me to tell you, civilization, despite our marvelous contraptions, is as fragile as ever. So, in this topic... Never was there a better time, I say, for that inspiring message. Uh, and yet the Star Wars of religious literature sits right there, ready to be discovered 
by billions of people who would be thrilled to know there is a reason to have hope, even a new hope. Which, of course, is the name of the fourth installment of the Star Wars franchise. So I'll leave you with that, and I thank you, and I'll end it with, I think appropriately, a word from a very wise Jedi. Hear you nothing that I say. Master, moving stones around is one thing. This is totally different. No, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. too big. Size matters not. Look at me. Judge me by my size, do you? Hmm? Hmm. And where you should not. For my ally is the Force. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us. And binds us. Luminous beings, though, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. Yes, even between the land and the ship.